Morning, everybody. You guys stopped greeting each other before I got up this time. <laughs> so good to see all of you guys. You know, we have had, I just want to give you guys a little peek behind the curtain. We have had every technical problem that could possibly happen in a church service. But here's the thing. All of them happened in first service. So today, you slept in, you got a little extra rest, you thought, maybe I'll go to second service today. How many of you guys normally come to first service, but you came to second today? Oh my gosh, Janos, you picked the right day. Anyway, <laughs> that's all I have to say about that. Here's, here's the wonderful news for today. We are wrapping up our apologetics series with truly an excellent, excellent speaker. In case you're just joining us for the first time in this series today, apologetics is the Christian discipline of defending and explaining and understanding our faith, why we believe what we believe. And so we've been doing that every week this month, and we have done that every August for the last 20 plus years. We believe it's that important of a discipline for Christians to be familiar with. And so to close this series out, we have um, somebody who is truly one of the greats in the world of apologetics, Dr. Frank Turek. He's the president of crossexamined.org. He's also a really prolific writer. He's written books such as I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist and Stealing from God. He's an accomplished debater, public speaker, TV host, radio host. He really does it all when it comes to apologetics, and we are really honored and grateful to have him with us today. So would you join me in welcoming Dr. Frank Turek. Uh, good morning, ladies and gentlemen. March 1985, I was in the United States Navy, which, by the way, stands for Never Again Volunteer Yourself. <laughs> and I was in Sacramento, California. I was uh, getting trained as an aviator navigator, so navigating planes. And I was at a roommate. His name was Mark. And I was brought up in New Jersey, so I was Catholic. You see, it's the law. You got to be Catholic if you're from New Jersey, but or Jewish. But I didn't really know who Jesus was, and Mark was the son of a Methodist minister, and I was always interested. I always knew there had to be a God. I just didn't know who Jesus was, and so I was asking Mark questions this one Sunday morning, and I said to him, "Mark, um, what's this business about Jesus being the only way? I mean, do you really think that's true?" That seems to leave out a lot of people. And all Mark said was, well, I just believe what Jesus actually said. And what Jesus actually said is, the clicker doesn't work. <laughs> we already had this problem first service, so you can shoot me now. Let's see if it'll work now. All right. What Jesus said was, Pray, the clicker works. What Jesus said was, it works now. Was that me? Is this the wrong clicker? All right, we're out of time, ladies and gentlemen. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So that's all Mark said. Now, Mark didn't know anything about apologetics, which, does, which, as you know, doesn't mean saying you're sorry. It means giving evidence for what you believe. He didn't say, well, here's why I think Jesus was right about this. He simply said, it's in the Bible, so I believe it. 
Well, we were about to go to church that morning. The problem was we didn't know where the church was. We didn't know what time it started. We just heard it was somewhere on Sunrise Avenue. So I looked at my watch after Jesus or after Mark said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father through me. I said, you know, that's kind of narrow, Mark. And then I looked at my watch and said, well, if we're going to go to church, we better get going. So we got in the car. We started heading out toward Highway 50 there in Sacramento. And... Uh, I said, I think uh, Sunrise Avenue is east, and Mark said, I think it's west. Now, keep in mind, we were both being trained as navigators, okay? So since I was driving, I got on Highway 50 going east and driving for about 10 minutes, and not, no sign of Sunrise Avenue. So Mark looks over at me and goes, see, I told you it was the other way. Now, as you know, a man would rather drive 25,000 miles around the earth then admit he's been wrong about directions. So I just kept driving. <laughs> Thankfully, about a couple of minutes later, I actually see Sunrise Avenue, the sign. I go, see, told you it was this way. So we get off and we see a church on the left. We pull into the parking lot. Nobody coming or going. Parking lot's full. We figure we're late. We go through the outer doors and there's a guy walking out. And I said, hey, what time does the service start? He said, 10. Looked at my watch, 10.30, uh-oh. So we go through the next set of doors, and it's a gym. You know, it's a basketball hoop on each side, and there's just a pastor standing on a little riser with a Bible. He's in the middle of his sermon when we walk in. So we slither into the back, we sit down, and two minutes into the sermon, as he's reading from his Bible, he says, and then Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Mark goes, and then he said, but some people think that's narrow. <laughs> so Mark gives me another one of these, and, he, and the pastor said, well, to tell you the truth, the truth is narrow. If I want to call my friend John here in the, in the front row, i got to dial 10 numbers in the exact order. If I get one number wrong, I don't get John, I get a wrong number. That's just the nature of truth. Now, I didn't get all my questions answered that day. I didn't become a Christian right that moment. I did a couple of months later. But I thought to myself, look, we didn't know where we were going. We didn't know when it started. And when we get to the service two minutes after we walk in, out of the 31,000 verses in the Bible, this guy's talking about this verse, said, maybe this is a sign from God. So I had more questions for Mark. And he finally said, look, you just need to get Josh McDowell books. Evidence demands a verdict more than a carpenter. How many have, gotten, have ever read those books, right? Yeah, those are great little apologetics books. So I read those books and, and said, this is true. And then, of course, later got into apologetics myself. But I still had the question. And the question... And the question is, why do I do this for a living? The question is, no, go back. The question is, how can Jesus be the only way? I still didn't have all my questions answered. And I still had questions on this. How can Jesus be the only way? So what I thought we'd do today is try and cover that if we're able to. And in order to do that, we've got to go back to the Ark of the Covenant. Now, what's the Ark of the... You know the Ark of the Covenant. Come on. And you're going... 
That Ark of the Covenant? Yes, it's not just a movie. It's actually in the Bible. You say it's in the Bible. What, 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 what do you mean it's in the Bible? Well, the Ark of the Covenant right here was what they put the tablets that Moses brought down from Mount Sinai. They put those in this gold-plated box called the Ark of the Covenant. And they would sometimes carry this box into battle and it would display the power of God. They'd win battle with it. But in order to transport this Ark, you needed to be very precise on how you did it. There were all sorts of rules. In fact, in order to transport it, you had to put poles through it. You couldn't touch the ark. And only Levite priests could be the ones to move the ark or you couldn't look in the ark. You know, if you look in the ark, your face will melt. You know that. You couldn't do that. So you had to follow these very strict procedures. So go to 2 Samuel, 2 Samuel chapter 6 for a minute, if you would. Because in 2 Samuel chapter 6, we're going to see what happens to this ark. Because David, after he takes over Jerusalem, decides he's going to move this ark, but he's not going to do it the way God said. He's not going to put poles through it and all that. He's just going to put it on the back of a cart and pull this cart with oxen to get it ultimately to Jerusalem. So he's not following protocol here. And here's what happens as they try and transport the ark. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Uzzah, just a guy who's transporting the ark with David, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled. So Uzzah thinks the ark's going to fall in the mud, so he puts his arm out to stop it from hitting the mud. And what happens? The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act, and therefore God struck him down. And he died there beside the ark of God. Don't you think that's a little bit extreme? I mean, the guys just, wouldn't, wouldn't you do the same thing? This beautiful gold ark is about to fall into the mud? Wouldn't you go, oh, I know we're not supposed to touch it, but I've got to make an exception here. This is going to fall in the mud. This can't happen. And as soon as he does that, God strikes him dead. And David's not happy with this, by the way. Here's what David says. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Uzzah. And to this day, the place is called Perez Uzzah, which means outbreak against Uzzah. Now, doesn't it seem like this God is just a little bit too intense to live with? I mean, this seems extreme. So how can we explain this? And what does this have to do with how Jesus can be the only way? Well, you'll see. In order to explain this, we have to go to another passage of Scripture we're probably much more familiar with. It's Isaiah chapter 55. Go to Isaiah chapter 55 for a minute. This passage is a passage that you and I, if you're a Christian, you've probably quoted this or somebody's quoted it to you. And uh, here is the passage. The passage is, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. How many have quoted this passage or had somebody quote it to you? A lot of us, right? This, we typically quote this passage when something mysterious happens that we can't explain. You know, God's ways are higher than our ways. We can't explain why such and such a thing happened. And we say, this is God's knowledge is so much higher than ours. And uh, he, his ways aren't our ways, so we're just going to have to chalk this up to a mystery. Now, everything I just said is true. There are things that happen we don't know the answer to because we're inside of time. God's outside of time. He can see the end from the beginning. We can't. 
But is that what this passage is teaching? I mean, the question we want to ask is, how are God's ways higher? Now, notice he juxtaposes my thoughts and your thoughts, your ways and my ways. Everything in red up there is us. Everything in green is God. So God is saying, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and your ways are not my ways. But what does this really mean? Well, before we get into this, I need to point something out that might not, it's going to sound a little weird, but it's true, and that's this. There are no verses in the Bible. There are no verses in the Bible. You think when Isaiah is writing Isaiah, he said, here's chapter 55, verse 6. No. When were the chapter and verse divisions added? About 500 years ago, to help us navigate the text, which is a good thing, right? It would be really hard if, you know, Pastor Isaac got up here and said, okay, go about two-thirds into the book, and let's see if you can find out where I am, right? <laughs> no, you, you got to have numbers to help you figure out where you are. It's a long series of books, right? The problem is, we tend to think if it's got a number in front of it, we can just take it out and make it say whatever we want. In order to really discover... What a passage means, you've got to look at the context. What's being said around it? Now, this is Isaiah 55. What happens two chapters earlier in Isaiah chapter 53? It's the famous suffering servant passage, where 700 years in advance of Jesus, God predicted there would be a servant who would be sinless and be killed, and his death would take the iniquities of us all on himself, and he would die and then see the light of light, a reference to the resurrection. So 700 years in advance, Jesus is predicted by the prophet Isaiah. And two chapters later, he actually talks about receiving a pardon because our ways are not as good as his ways. In fact, let's take a look at really what goes on here. Let's go look at a couple of verses prior to this section. Here's what it says. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn from the Lord so he may have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. How can he freely pardon? Because there's a sacrifice coming. There's a sacrifice. Someone else is going to take your punishment on himself so he can pardon you. And then he goes on to say, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Now notice, what is he really saying here about wicked? Let the wicked forsake their ways. Notice, the wicked are modifying our thoughts in this passage, it's your thoughts, meaning human thoughts and human ways. In other words, God is not making a knowledge point here. He's not saying my knowledge is so much higher than yours, although that's true. That's not what this is saying. What this is saying is God's morality, his moral ways are higher than our ways. Not just his knowledge, but his moral ways are higher. His moral ways are higher than our immoral ways. His moral Righteousness is higher than our immoral unrighteousness, so to speak. It's a moral point. But how much higher are God's ways? Look at the last verse in this section. 
as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. I guess the only question we need to answer then now to see how much higher God is morally than us is to see how high the heavens are above the earth, right? That's what we're going to do. We're going to see how much higher the heavens are above the earth in order to get a grasp of how God's moral ways are higher than our immoral ways. And in order to do that, we're going to first look at our solar system, and then we're going to go out to the entire universe. Now, as we do this, we'll see that the solar system and our universe is designed with us in mind. In fact, let's take a look at the solar system here first. Here we are, a third rock from the sun right there. If we were just a little bit closer to or a little bit further away from the sun, we couldn't survive. A little bit closer to, we'd burn up. A little bit further away, we'd freeze. We are what scientists call the Goldilocks zone. It's not too hot. It's not too cold. It is, that's a lie. It's too hot here in the summer. Okay. The axial tilt, 23 and a half degrees. Change that slightly, we don't exist. Earth rotation, 24 hours. Change that slightly, we don't exist. The size and distance of the moon from us. Change that slightly, we don't exist. If Jupiter right here was not in its current orbit, we couldn't exist here on Earth. Why not? Jupiter's gravitational force is so strong that it attracts most of the meteors and space junk to it rather than us. I mean, if you take a close-up look at Jupiter, you see these dark marks here? These dark marks are comet fragment strikes that are bigger than the Earth. Thank God for Jupiter. Because if Jupiter wasn't there, we wouldn't be here. And Saturn does the same thing. In fact, you want to see the planets? Here they are. You've got uh, Jupiter, Saturn, Uranus, Neptune, Earth. Look at poor Pluto down here. You know, Pluto recently has been demoted as a planet. I don't know about you, but I think it's size discrimination. (laughs) Take a look at this. Yeah, you can hardly see Pluto. Take a look at this. That's Arcturus. That's another star in our galaxy. Here's the sun over here. Jupiter is one pixel in size on this scale. Earth is invisible. Pluto? Forget about it. All right. Now keep an eye on Arcturus. Where's Arcturus now? Way over here. That's Antares. That's another star in our galaxy. The sun is one pixel in size on this scale. Jupiter is invisible. Earth, Pluto, forget about them. In fact, if the Earth was the size of a golf ball, Beetlejuice here. Look, I don't name the stars, okay? If the Earth was the size of a golf ball, Beetlejuice here would be five or six Empire State Buildings high. The heavens are awesome. And this is just in our galaxy. This is not outside our galaxy. And the average distance between stars in our galaxy is 30 trillion miles. And all that distance is necessary for us to exist here on Earth. Now, 30 trillion miles, how far is that? Far. Take you at least two tanks of gas and a Toyota Prius to go 30 trillion miles. 
number of years ago, my wife and I took our three sons out to the Desert Museum in Tucson, Arizona. If you ever get to go to Tucson, if you go south of the city a little bit, beyond the city lights, you'll go to this Desert Museum, and if it's a clear night and they take you outside, you'll see thousands of stars in the sky. So we're out there one night, and the guide said, it's so clear tonight that if we look up at 9.03, we'll see the space shuttle in orbit. Oh, come on, we're not going to see the space shuttle. It's only 120 feet long. It's 350 miles up. We're not going to see it. Oh, me of little faith. At 9.03, the guide goes, look! And we look up in the sky, about 70 degrees above the horizon. There's an object streaking across the western desert sky, relative to us, about like this. When it got right about here, it disappeared. I don't know whether Scotty beamed it up or what. Actually, what happened was, despite the fact that we were in total darkness, the space shuttle was so high up that the sun was still reflecting off of it, and then when it got out of the range of the sun, we couldn't see it anymore. Now, when the space shuttle was in orbit, the space shuttle was traveling at about 18,000 miles an hour. That's five miles per second. You got trouble getting to work in the morning? Take the space shuttle. You'll be there. Five miles a second. Think about how fast that is. Well, I did a little calculation to try and figure out how long would it take us if we could get in the space shuttle and go from our star, the sun, to another star in our galaxy an average distance away, 30 trillion miles. In other words, how long would it take us to go 30 trillion miles if we could go five miles per second? How long do you think it would take us? A long time. You must be a math major. Yeah. It would take us 201,450 years. That means if you got in the space shuttle at the time of Christ and started traveling from our star to another star inside our galaxy an average distance away, you've been going five miles a second for 2,000 years. You would be less then one hundredth of the way there right now. And we're going to explore space. No, we're not. We're not going anywhere in space. We can hardly get out of our solar system. It took us nine years to get to Pluto. Forget about it. We're not going anywhere in space. Who'd like to go to the next nearest star? We'll go. Get in, kids. Are we almost there yet, Dad? Another 200,000 years, play some more Xbox. <laughs> By the way, do you know if you could go the speed of light, it would take you almost four years to get to the next nearest star? That's four years at 186,000 miles per second. The heavens are awesome. Now, this is just in our galaxy. How many galaxies are there? Well, the Hubble Space Telescope helped us discover how many are out there. You know, it's circling the Earth out there. And a number of years ago, they trained the Hubble Space Telescope on 1 24 millionth of the sky. What's 1 24 millionth of the sky? Go out tonight, put a piece of rice on the end of your finger, hold it up. That piece of rice represents about 1 24 millionth of the sky. And Hubble trained for 11 days on this spot. This is called Hubble Ultra Deep field. You can Google this or duck, duck, go it. 
And you can watch what I'm about to show you. This is in the public domain. What I'm going to show you is the video or the series of pictures they put together in a video to show you what's in one twenty-four millionth of the sky. I don't know if you can see this, but along the bottom of this, uh, these are, this is mountains. This is the, uh, a piece of the southern sky, the southern hemisphere, and these are mountains. When I start this video, you're going to see the constellations come up, and then Hubble is going to zoom in to one twenty-four millionth of the sky. There is no audio it's just video. You ready? Here's what Hubble found. There are the constellations. And let's zoom in to 124 millionth of the sky. What you're looking at are nearly 10,000 galaxies in one twenty-four millionth of the sky. And how many stars are there in each galaxy? They say billions. And how many stars then are there in the universe? Researchers at the University of Hawaii figured it out. The number of stars there are in the universe are about equivalent to the number of sand grains on all the beaches on all the earth times 100,000. And to go from just one of those sand grains to another sand grain, one star to another star, going five miles a second will take you over 200,000 years. Now you know why the Bible says the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens are awesome. I don't want to ever hear anybody here at South Valley Community Church ever use the word awesome in any other context other than the heavens or God. <laughs> awesome shirt, dude. Awesome shot, dude. Awesome TikTok video. No! <laughs> what are you going to use for God if you're throwing awesome around all the time? Be there in five minutes. Awesome. No, it's not. <laughs> As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. That's how much higher God's ways are than our ways. God's moral ways are than our immoral ways. So when Uzzah reached out to stop the ark from hitting the dirt, He didn't realize he was dirtier than the dirt. Do you know the dirt does what God tells it to do? But we don't. He should have let it hit the mud. Because by touching it, he defiled it. 
How can we possibly live with this God? We can't. There's no way we can measure up. There's got to be another way. There is. Oh, no, Frank. Come on, I'm a pretty good person. Really? Are you a good person? Are you? When the rich young ruler asked Jesus, what do I have to do to inherit, life, to inherit eternal life? What did Jesus say? After the rich young ruler said, oh, good teacher. Jesus said, why do you call me good? No one is good except God. Jesus is not denying his deity. He's affirming it. You're calling me good, but there's none good but God, i.e., I am God. If you're claiming to be a good person, you're either a liar or you're God. You say, well, wait a minute, Frank. I'm pretty good compared. Yeah, pretty good compared to what? To your other bad neighbor? You know why we think we're good people? Because we have a relative moral standard in our mind, from the moral giant Mother Teresa, the Catholic nun who served the poor most of her life in India, down to the moral midget Hitler. And next to Hitler, we put criminals. We know they're not quite as bad as Hitler, but they're bad. And then next to criminals, we put all the immoral people we all know. You know, our immoral friends and relatives who aren't quite as good as we are, because our picture's right here next to Mother Teresa. And then if we believe in heaven and hell at all, we arbitrarily draw a line, a line in the sand and we say, these are the bad people, they're going to hell, and we're the good people, we're going to heaven. But you know, that's not the way the universe really works. That's not the way the moral universe really works. Oh, sure, you may be better than your neighbor, but you're still fallen. You're still immoral. The moral line does not run between people. God's perfect moral standard runs across the top, and all of us have fallen short of that standard. From Mother Teresa on down to Hitler and everyone in between. And what Christ has come and done is he's lived the perfect life in our place. And by trusting in him, you can not only be forgiven, you can be given his righteousness. Now, unfortunately, even this graphic doesn't communicate it right. Because the standard isn't just a little bit above us. The standard is as high as the heavens are above the earth. So before we conclude as to why Jesus is the only way, I want to point out that normally when I talk about this, I like to cover the first two questions, which we haven't had time to do here today due to the nature of how you got to go. We just don't have enough time. Anyway, um, is only Jesus claiming to be the only way? The answer is every, just about every world religion claims to be the only way. It's not just Christianity, okay? And then what about those that have never heard? I didn't have time to cover that here today. Uh, we just tried to cover point three. If you want the rest of that, there's a longer presentation. We may have a few DVDs left out there. It's called, How Can Jesus Be the Only Way? Look to the Heavens. If we don't have any more here, you can get it off our website, okay? Uh, but if you want the evidence that Christianity is true, type the word evidence, no quotes on it, and text it to 44222. I'm gonna send you the first chapter of Stealing from God and a PowerPoint presentation that shows you from I don't have enough faith to be an atheist why Christianity is true okay why Christianity is true because if we're going to say Jesus is the only way we have to affirm that Jesus really is who he said he was otherwise it's just him saying it and there's no authority behind it was Jesus really God if he was whatever he teaches is true so type the word evidence to 44222 text it now how can Jesus be the only way? 
Let's go back to our passage again. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We've already seen how much higher the heavens are above the earth. In other words, God's justice, God's morality is so much higher than ours, it's as high as the heavens are above the earth. So there's no way we can measure up. We can't. We're all fallen. We've already sinned. But you know that God's justice is that high, yet so is his love. In fact, the same phrase is used of God's love in Psalm 103. Here's what it says. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed our transgressions from us. Yes, God's justice is infinite from our perspective, but so is his love. So how is God going to somehow remain just and yet love us to the point where he doesn't have to punish us? How does he do that? What he does is he takes the punishment on himself. And Paul explains this in Romans chapter 3 when he says about God that God did this so that God would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, when God saves us, he's remaining just because he's punished Jesus in our place, and yet he also justifies us because that sacrifice is what justifies us. It's not an arbitrary claim, in other words. Jesus didn't say, I'm the only way just because I said so. It's philosophically and theologically necessary that God punish sin. If he doesn't punish sin, he's not just. Let me give you an illustration. Let's suppose, I know you wouldn't do this, but let's suppose you're, you're caught drinking and driving. Cop sees you, pulls you over, gives you the breathalyzer, you're guilty, and it's really fast justice here in Gilroy, California. You're brought right into the courtroom. You walk into the courtroom, and you look up, and the judge is your father, your physical earthly father. And he looks down at you and he says, how do you plead? And you know you're guilty. They got the goods on you. You go, guilty. But, dad, I promise to be good from here on out. I'll help the old ladies across the street. I'll help down at the soup kitchen. I'll start tithing at church. I'll do all those good things so you don't need to punish me. Can your dad just let you go? Can he just say, well, this guy's my son, and he's promised to do good works from here on out, so no punishment. Would he be just if he did that? No, if he's going to be just, what does he have to do? He's got to punish you. Otherwise, he's not just. So he says to you, um, sorry, you know, in order to be just, I, I have to punish you, so $5,000 fine, or you go to jail. And you go look up at your dad. You go, Dad, you know I don't have $5,000. At that point, your dad says, hold on. He comes from behind the bench, he takes off his robe, he reaches into his pocket, he takes out $5,000. What's the only thing you can do to be free? What's the only thing you can do to be free? Take it, right? No, promise of good works isn't going to change the fact you've already sinned. The only way you can be free is to take what he provides. Well, God does that for us. He comes down from heaven, he adds humanity to his deity, and he takes our punishment on himself, and all we can do to be free is to take it. That's what he does for us. He did this so he could be just, punish sin, and also the justifier allows sinners to go unpunished because he took the punishment on himself. 
But he didn't just take the punishment on himself. He also then rose from the dead to prove what he did was really true. And if Jesus rose from the dead, then whatever he teaches is true. And he did rise from the dead. In fact, I just have a personal policy. If someone rises from the dead, I just trust whatever the guy says. <laughs> and you saw Mike Lacona here last week. Was he talking about the resurrection, probably? Was he here talking about that? Were you guys here last week? Do you remember last week? <laughs> Jesus rose from the dead. If Jesus rose from the dead, Christianity's true. And he is the only way. It's not an arbitrary claim. It's built on the fact that God's morality is infinite compared to ours, yet his love is infinite compared to ours as well. And that's why he provides us this one way. There's no other. There can't be any other way. It's impossible. In fact, Paul says in Galatians 2, if you could gain righteousness by obeying the law, then Christ died in vain. Why would God send his only son to die a brutal death if you could get to him some other way? Answer is, he wouldn't. That's why Jesus is the only way. Heavenly Father, I pray if there's someone here who has not accepted, repented and accepted the free gift that you've provided, that today would be the day. I also pray that if there's someone here who has not, who has accepted but is not in the game and is not trying to build your kingdom, that today would be the day they would dedicate themselves to do so because we are here on earth to make ambassadors, to build God's kingdom, to make disciples of all nations. What could be greater than that? The greatest mission in the history of the world the church has been given. And many of us are sitting on the sidelines saying, no, not for me. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would come upon us all, motivate us to build your kingdom for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. Well, I was going to say, you know, didn't Dr. Turk do an awesome job today, but I won't do that. He was good at declaring the awesomeness of the Lord today. Let's stand together. There's a reason why we do these apologetic series, especially for the past 25 plus years. It's because it's to remind us that we can come to educated responses about the validity of our faith and defense of our faith. And it's also for those that are seeking and, 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 and pursuing that uh, they can um, broaden their perspective <clears throat> in the hopes of coming to know a God who, according to Dr. Turek, look how awesome God is. It's unfathomable. Our minds can't get around it. But yet, this God that is so awesome once is interested in all of the things that's going on in my life every day. He wants, to, he wants me to wake up and talk to him and walk through this life with him. That's the Jesus that I want you to know today. And it's, it's time. Take that risk. Take that chance with Jesus today. Because we could talk about all the different religions, but at the end of the day, if we don't have a conversation about who Jesus is, we've missed the boat altogether. Hey, I want to uh, also invite you. We're super excited. Next Sunday, we're starting a journey through the book of Matthew. And we're going to kick that off. And we've done that before, and many of you have been uh, a part of this. On Friday night, next 
Friday night, <clears throat> our branch adult uh, ministry is, is hosting a read through Matthew from 7 to 8 o'clock. We're going to have dessert in here in the sanctuary. And, you know, I don't know if a lot of you know this, but back through, throughout Christian history, uh, there, there were times when the Bible was not <clears throat> available. So they, they often had times when they came together and people read from the manuscripts and read through Scripture. And so it's a great way to come in an hour. We're just going to come and we're just going to have various speakers. Just we're going to read through Matthew. And it's a great way to, to, to start that, that awesome journey through this book um, the next Sunday. So we want to invite you guys to that. Also, real quick, as always, there's these cards right in front of you. They're there for two things. Can we pray for you? Fill it out. If you're new, uh, take the Connect card to the, to the uh, lobby, to the Connect uh, table there, and turn it in. We want to give you a, a free uh, gift a certificate to the Westside Grill just to say uh, it's great to have you here today. I'm Greg Quirk. I'm the campus pastor, and I would love to meet you before you leave today. Just grab me and say hello. And um, we love you guys. And uh, as always, we have our, uh, our offering boxes located in, on the back wall there for those of you that like to give your offering in person. We are still also doing it online as well as texting, but um, we have it there for you if you'd like as well. And so as always, if we could be praying for you, if we could pray for you before you leave today, we have our prayer counselors that are going to be coming down, and we'd love to do that and support you. So... I think I'm done. It's time for Donut to usher your way into lunch. And uh, we love you guys and always praying for you. So God bless you. Have a great day and we'll see you soon. 